Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Simon here. Welcome to Life Lessons from Sports and Beyond. And today I'm joined by a British athletics great. Forget that, one of the greatest the world has ever seen. The only woman to be Olympic, world and European 400 metres hurdles champion while simultaneously holding the world record. Sally Gunnell dominated her sport in the early 1990s but she admits she couldn't have done it without the team she purposefully built around her. From bringing in a nutritionist to getting help with her psychology, which was something that was not really the dumb thing back then, Sally was certainly ahead of her time. And so the theme of this episode is around asking for help, something that lots of us are not good at doing, whether it be simply opening up to a friend, to investing in yourself by seeking professional help in any area, Sally's story really shows it can make a huge difference. As well as asking for help, we talk about why having a great rival in whatever you're doing is a good thing. Hers was the American Sandra Farmer-Patrick. As well as accepting that your critical inner voice will always be there and it's about choosing not to buy into its stories. So without further ado, here is Sally Gunnell. Sally Gunnell, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, a little bit hot today, a bit sweaty, it, but it, we are good. <laughs> well, we're in the same boat. I've had to shut the window in this office. So, yeah, I'm sure beads of sweat will form on my brow over the course of <laughs> our conversation. So we're in this together. That's the main thing. Yes. Uh, now, Sally, I'm, I'm thrilled to speak to you. As I mentioned to you before we spoke, you winning the gold at the Olympics in 1992. It's one of those memories that's burned into my brain. You and Linford, I was in Spain at the time. So 
It's a real thrill. And watching back that race really you? bought you me. Been... Oh, I was. I'm not going to give that away, Sally. Goodness, <laughs> me, I've got a professional age and a. But let... <laughs> so, uh, but I was I was on holiday with my parents, and I was. Uh, let's just say they kept me on a tight leash. So I was I was that young. You but um, but I remember I was on holiday in Spain, and I can remember exactly. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic to chat to you. And then as well, in the course of my research, you're a self-confessed chatterbox, which is perfect. Well, yeah, I do like a good old little chit chat, I mean, especially in lockdown, isn't it? You get a bit bored, don't you, of my lot, I must admit. So um, yeah. I think, I don't know what I'd yeah. do without bumping into people or uh, yeah, having our little chit chats over Zoom and bits and pieces. So I, th- I think I found out more about people when I've done sort of work bits and I've done probably normal. It's great. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm I'm very much the same. I think connection is one of my highest values. So like you say, during lockdown, if I've had a week where I haven't spoken to people much, friends, family, I can tell I'm not quite where I want to be at the end of the week. Are you a bit like that? Yeah, and I think it's like the ones I've really enjoyed, I've done quite a lot around the world and there's like, you know, people sitting in their little apartments in New York or whatever else and, you know, talking about cats and dogs and, yeah, exercise and just, you know, really diverse things, really, which I think is, has just been great fun. But, yeah, I mean, family, we did, we used to do all our, we still do all our little family FaceTimes and friends, yes, a lot of, a lot of bike rides with friends and runs and walks, which has been very good. Well, you're all about the outdoor life, aren't you? Having grown up on a farm. I am. It's my sanity. It's the only um, reason why I exercise now is to to get myself outside, really. So, yeah, I mean, that's just, I don't know. I think our first flat, the first house was a little flat and we've sort of gone further and further back into the country. So, yeah, gone back to my roots. But, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I mean, what a great call. You're preempting everyone else during lockdown. So everyone's sort of following you. <laughs> but uh, you got ahead of the curve. Anyway, right, listen, you're a bit of a gift, really, for a podcast like this, because you already spend your time taking the lessons from your sporting career and applying them in your life and also applying them, helping other people apply them in their lives, businesses, individuals, also, I read some great posts on your website around mental health, stress and sleep. We'll come to all of that. But let's talk about your Hall of Fame athletics career just to get things underway, Sally. And it all started, didn't it, when you watched Telly aged 14 and thought, that's what I want right there. I know it was um, Daley Thompson in Moscow and um, I just, yeah, the, the two days of watching him. I got to interview him actually for, for um, Team GB next week and I'm, I'm a little bit starstruck. I mean, I know him quite well, but I still, you know, I'm going to have to confess to all this. Um, but yeah, so no, he, he just those two days and, and that was it. And I'd sort of joined a club by that point and was, you know, enjoying it. But it, that was sort of the next stage. And then the, his coach wanted to coach me and, and uh, when I was 14. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then I think he left the group after that. But anyway, it was, um, yeah, it was, it, that was the moment. So that was Bruce, the coach. But just a quick lesson to extract from even that 14-year-old who said, that's what I want right there. And I know that goals is a big thing, well, for any high achiever and separating the, the the crazy goal, if you like, which that was at that time, 
from those more kind of achievable goals that you need to tick off along the way. And you're a believer in, mm. a great believer in both of the importance of having both of them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I had, um, you know, I, I think having that dream goal of watching it on that day, I call it my dream goal now, but I didn't know it at the time. But I had people around, around me that allowed me to think that big. Um, which I thought was was really crucial, and why why not go to the Olympics one day? You know, it was all rather than I think so often we we sort of say, oh yeah, yeah, dream on scenario or whatever else. They were like, yes, if that's what you want to do, they were quite encouraging it, and I think that was really key. And I didn't think about it day in day out. Probably not until I'd sort of you know left school at eighteen and had to make choices of careers and all sorts of things like that. But not even at that point, it probably wasn't until, you know, started, I don't know, won my first common, major Commonwealth Games medal that I thought, I'm liking this and who knows, maybe. And I don't think that was ever really until I, I started doing the 400 hurdles, which was sort of six years out from from winning it, really. So, yeah, it took quite a few years. And I always say that sort of dream goal that, I don't know, maybe there's some little seeds that got sown into my, my mind and my brain you know, and then all of a sudden it does become your realistic goal. And it's like, wow, I've got to do this thing now because I really think that I can do it. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's a great lesson there as well in uh, the, the people around you. So you say you had these people who, when you're saying I'm aiming, so your family, I assume, uh, aiming or would like to compete and win in the Olympics. They're like, yeah, why not? Rather than, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, you know, aim a bit lower. Because I know you yeah. have had naysayers along your way, but having that supportive environment is is vital. Yeah, I think so often we don't we don't think big enough. We don't challenge ourselves and we don't, you know, like I say, step out. And, and, and I think of the amount of times I've, I've done things, you know, which are really like quite daunting and scary and, and, you, and you do it and you just think, oh, thank God I did that because I'm almost you know, dropped out or thought I couldn't do it. And, and I just, all those little sort of lessons in it, and it sort of astounded me that, wow, I did that. That's amazing. And that's, and I think so often mm. we we don't think we're capable of doing that. And that, you know, and, and, you know, it's often because we do listen to other people that we go, you know, you can't do total wipeout and those big red balls or whatever else. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, you're probably right. But, you know, let's go and have a go. And, you know, it was actually quite a lot of fun. <laughs> absolutely. I wasn't expecting you to give the example of total wipeout, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as well, that the inner voice we have, and we'll come to that because I know that's yeah. a, a really big topic. But um, but I know you started, didn't you? I mean, you, you were, so we had long jump, heptathlon, you failed to qualify for the 1984 Olympics. So you moved on to the hurdles. You won the Commonwealth and 100 meters hurdles. You're like, going, woohoo. And I know you beat your, and this is quite revealing. I know you beat your your hero, your idol, and you actually felt bad about it and thought you had to go up and apologize. Um, but just a quick word on that. But then also yeah. what your coach <laughs> then quickly said to you afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was my first major championships, Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh. And I was like, loving it all. And, um, yeah, and next to me was Shirley Strong, who had got a silver medal in, in LA two years before. And she had. She'd been my sort of role model at the time in the 100 hurdles. And and I was, you know, it, it's like you're in awe and, you know, I just follow her down the track. Do I let her go first? All those sorts of things. But no, it was sort of 
time to step up. And I think my coach sort of told me that time to step up and just see what you're capable of. And I do. And I remember winning and it's like, but it was like, I don't know quite what to do now. You know, it was a bit like she was storming off. Other people weren't happy. You know, you, you're given a flag, all these sort of things, which you've never done before. And it's like, wow, brilliant. And um, so just, it was just sort of outside of my comfort zone. Or again, it was like, I don't normally do this. This is, this is quite nice. And what do I do? It was that scenario. But yeah. And then it was Bruce just said to me, brilliant, you know, fantastic. But I think he just said, realistically, that ranks you about, I don't know, 20th in the world. I mean, the the 100 hurdles was the Donkova days and dominated by the Americans and Bulgarians and, and you know, the Eastern Bloc, all these guys. And, and I was so far behind them. You know, they were running like 1225s. And I think I was still running, I don't at that point, I don't even know if I think I'm 13 still. I hadn't broken 13 at that point in my career. So it was a, a miles off and he just said the 400 hurdles. I think you'd be brilliant. And I was like, wow, that where's that come from? And it was like, you know, it, I never even thought of it. I never even watched it really, never taken an interest. Um, and I know it hurts. <laughs> so it was a little bit like, why would I want to do that? But I think that goes back to, you know, I could easily have stayed doing the 100 hurdles, which was which was mm. great, you know. And I often think, everyone, someone actually once said to me that I think every athlete starts off as a sprinter and then you realise you're not very good and you have to keep going up to find what you get. Because, you know, why would you want to hurt yourself when you can just look good on a track all day? So I think it's a little bit like that. And I think also with, with the 100 hurdles or the 400 hurdles, it's like it was a relatively new event and there, and it was sort of a lot of people were um, coming from sort of four flats. Nobody had really come from the 100 hurdles because it was so much longer. So, yeah, it was interesting. And it's a cliche, but you only regret the things you don't do. And I'm sure you wanted, would rather have stayed in the 100 because, oh, yeah. like you say, it's, a, a bit, it's, <laughs> it's easier for starters. But you've got to push yourself. And even when that inner voice is saying, but I like it here, yeah. you've got to keep pushing yourself yeah. and getting out of that. And thank goodness you did. Otherwise, know. You, know, you wouldn't hold the grand slam like you do. Yeah, I wouldn't be sitting yeah, exactly. here you, would I? <laughs> there we go. Sliding doors, if ever there were yes. some. So let's move forward then. So the 1988 Olympics, was that? that's when it was really rubber stamp for you, isn't it? Because... I know you entered yeah. the 100 hurdles and the 400 hurdles. You finished fifth in the 400. So at that point, you think, hang on a sec. Yeah, I could go on and win Olympic gold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was me still hanging on to the 100 hurdles just in case because I still liked it. Um, but yeah, that was the turning point. You know, I was, I thought I was knocked out first round in the 100 hurdles, still miles away from everybody, even though I was you know, holding the British record, running, you know, 1288 or whatever it was, I'm still nowhere near good enough. Um, and then fifth in the 400 hurdles and uh, I think still making mistakes and bits and pieces. But yeah, it was a sort of a, a this is it, you know, you've got to get serious now. And, um, you know, there's, there's a chart and it was, it was the first time sort of four years time that I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I've, I've got a, sort myself out in the next four years to, to stand on the top of that rostrum. But it was the first time that I thought I could actually do this. And then the question you had to ask yourself was, how am I going to bridge the gap between where I am and first, which is, I don't know, a few metres, whatever, um, not a huge amount of time. But no. when, because I know you were obviously training, you couldn't train any harder. So that's the point at which, and this was 
revolutionary to some degree at the time, wasn't it? You thought, right, I need to find people outside of myself who can add that extra 1%, which was ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd um, I'd spent, you know, many years, what you do, you watch all sorts of people, you know, admire and you learn, you see what they're eating and, you know, what they're doing and they're watching their training and all these sorts of things and, and you apply it to a certain degree. But then, then you start to think, well, okay, what's it going to take to get to that next level, you know, and, um, and realize that, you know, I had an amazing coach, I was training really well, it, it, that was good that, you know, I can improve on that, but I can't, you know, there's not going to be big gaps there, I can't, you know, do much improvement on that overall, but I knew it was those sort of other areas. And um, so, yes, I started looking at the sort of, you know, what I was eating and uh, recovery. I was just being a little bit more professional, if anything. So I think that that was what was what was so important. So nutritionist was addition number one. A couple of tips that you can share and, and something I was I was looking through your stuff that you said about in a post of yours, how sugar can spike our cortisol, which I thought was I didn't know that. And I think that's fascinating as someone who likes to keep his cortisol under wraps or not. Uh, <laughs> interfering with my day-to-day life shall we say that was a bit of a bit of a revelation so yes for for, what did you learn that anyone just simple tips about nutrition that anyone listening could benefit from a couple of nuggets I think the thing that I learned was that how much it affects your body how um you know what you put in your mouth not just your weight but your concentration levels your your recovery um yeah, all those things, you know, just there was just so many things. It's like, oh, God, does that come down to food? I thought it was just about, you know, I don't know, just controlling your weight and things like that. But it was just understanding what you put in and what the difference is almost. So I think that was better. And, and you know, one the other thing was that I I enjoyed the discipline of it because to, to stand on the line knowing that you'd eaten really well for, you know, the last three years or whatever it is, is, is enormous amount of confidence and, you know, and confidence is everything, isn't mm. it? So, you know, it was, it was to be able to mm. do that gave me like, you know, I deserve this because I've done it, you know, and, and I, I wasn't strict all the time, but, you know, we'd have six weeks off at the end of the year where I'd go and eat and drink everything in sight put on about stony weight but then I'd get back on it again and that was really important so I knew that you know when I'd stood on that line in Barcelona that the last I don't know I don't know it must have been nearly 11 months had been you know really disciplined on that front really and um, yeah I mean I'm nowhere near as strict now you'd be very pleased to know but I still know that you know, I'm pretty grumpy if I've drunk a bottle of wine and eaten a takeaway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The next day, I don't really feel very good. So, but there we know. We know that it's down to what no. I've been eating. So, <laughs> but you're a fan of the eighty twenty rule, aren't you? A bit of you know, eat eat well eighty, and then yeah. have a bit of the twenty. Yeah, I try and eat healthily eighty percent of the time if I can. But I still, you know, that twenty percent is I don't know the bar of chocolate at the weekend or the takeaway or something or other but yeah I just I think it's just as I say understanding and as I've got older as well I I do have to watch my weight so I can't eat all my sugar that I'd like to and and things like that so yeah and I just I don't know I'm just much more it's just getting a bit of a balance and not getting obsessed by it I think really with all that and um, but I you know I enjoy my food I love going out for a good meal and I'd go and eat 
what I wanted to on it, but I often find myself going towards fish or, you know, not too many carbs and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. So some uh, common sense approach to food, but um, yeah, it does make a huge difference. Like you say, then I know you prioritize recovery as well. So you yoga, Pilates, naps. So this is why you're competing, (laughs) but now post athletics, this is, me time isn't it so recovery yes. this is the equivalent now that you're not a pro athlete yeah yeah I think um you know the running days just it's about it was about recovery and you know when you're training twice a day it was about the afternoon naps and you know we can't do that now but it's still important to I don't know have a I don't know a cup of tea sit down go for a little walk with the dogs you know I mean, it is my me time it's you know, get in the tub, whatever else. It was just, yeah. And I, and I think sometimes you have to prioritise that. I'm, I am a bit of a, I'm on the conveyor belt all the time. So I have to, I have to, you know, force myself almost. It doesn't come naturally, but I do know how important it is. And, and it's about, mm. you know, everybody leads stressful life. That's life. You know, we're never going to avoid it. And, and stress is, is good because it makes us, do things and perform in certain ways but it's you know we can't have stress all the time so it's just about finding things of managing your stress that's what I say and and that can be anything for anybody really it might be just be yeah you know a little bit of tai chi or whatever it is you name it but it's finding it works for you well you mentioned stress and I read your post on stress and I've I've nicked a quote out of it which is quite a nice easy mantra to remember self-care is not selfish, it's self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I've learned, it's all about prevention. So I will be, you know, a lot of the stuff that I, you know, I talk about, it's like, you know, uh, we're going to live older. Hopefully we're all going to age because that's normal and and that's, you know, it's a good thing that we're aging because it means we're still around. Um, And I think it's about, you know, we want to be as active and as healthy as possible. and, And, you know, it's a bit like, when you are an athlete, a top athlete, it's all about prevention. What can I put in place? So I think a lot of what I what I talk about now is, you know, just how important that balance, coordination, and all those sorts of things are. And it's just, uh, you know, what can we what, what can we put in life to optimize our age? That's what I call it. Right. Before we talk about the final piece of your asking for help jigsaw, I think we've got to talk about your 1991 silver medal, which some people might think, hooray. But actually, for you, it was a bit of a mistake, wasn't it? So there you were. I know that you were only aiming for a medal and and you weren't necessarily aiming for gold. You wanted a peak at Barcelona 92, which you did. But as you came down the straight or wherever it was, I know that you were in prime, in pole position to win gold, at which point the thought pops in your head. Oh, no, I'm in the lead. So do you want to pick it up from there? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd sort of, came across that eighth hurdle and and expecting that I'd have people around me or whatever. I was actually in the lead and I just panicked because I guess it was that, oh my gosh, I could win this. And then I started thinking, where are other people? And I started worrying about, you know, I had Leda Squire, the the Russian girl that had beaten me in a a Europeans that I sort of should have won and I was favourite. She was right there. And then obviously my massive rival, Sandra Farmer-Patrick. And I just... Then I just started looking, <laughs> seeing where they were, uh, lost concentration, started into the ninth hurdle. 
I think, um, yeah, I think Sandra and I had a bit of a ding dong over the tenth hurdle. I think she got it wrong, and I was sort of over the wrong side and all sorts of things. Anyway, which went on for quite a while. Went on in the canteen that night, and I think the next sort of few years. Um, but yeah, and I think the, the overriding thing was I was I was yeah I was devastated. I was because I knew that I could have won that, and you don't get those chances very often in life. And I might never get that chance again. So I think that that was the thing that upset me. And 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 it was, you know, as I say, the last piece of that sort of self-help. And it was about, you know, why did it happen? What, what had I done wrong? And it was just, I was worrying about other people. I was worrying about things that are out of my control. Um, I hadn't stuck to my sort of plan. I didn't really have a plan. I wasn't really wasn't sort of like clarity in what I was doing, all those sorts of things. And that's when I knew I had to sort of have a look at that sort of side of things, which was that whole sort of mental side. So you then brought in a sports psychologist, the final piece in the jigsaw, which was not the done thing really at the time, was it either? So what did he or she, I'm not sure, I think it's a he, what did they really get you to work on? And then I want to ask you something about how this relates to normal life and asking for help. Because, you know, sports psychology could be therapy, psychotherapy, it could be coaching in various forms. And even though people perhaps thought, what's she doing? Because it was not the done thing. But there's still that issue in other areas now. For example, I saw in one of your articles about 40% of people with anxiety and depression still don't ask for help. But Actually, asking for help, as you did in this case, and it can be applied to any area, is just key. And it's an investment in yourself. Yeah. Matt, I knew it was a a big thing and I knew it was, um, yeah, it was always going to be my thing. You know, I was very competitive, but I always had this piece around, was I good enough? That was always my biggest thing and in fact the person because we didn't really have sports psychologists there you know it's a bit like you're saying you know it's a bit like mental health now you know do you go and get help and what do you mean you're not tough enough and come on you're all sports people have got that arrogance about and that wasn't me I didn't I wasn't like that as a person and it was actually David Hemery who uh came to me and he'd done a lot of work around the mental side of it and him winning in in Mexico City and yeah he just said come and chat and it and it was it was really interesting because the first thing he said to me is you've got to work out how you've got how you're going to win you've got to know exactly what it's going to take you know what all the other records are what stride pattern you know it was like you and then you've got to spend 12 months seeing yourself doing this and winning and crossing that line because I think what a lot of sports people do is that you I don't know it's quite a scary place so if we're going to do something in life that we don't really like we think right well well I'm not I don't want to think about it I don't want to think about it now I'll I'll think about it when I have to and that's what I'd done you know for years I might sit on my bed the night before and go through a race or even that afternoon but he just said you've got to start thinking about it now 12 months ahead and um and that's what he did. He just taught me how to see myself, you know, winning, running that perfect race, um, how we would celebrate, what would it mean to your family, your friends, standing on that rostrum, you know, actually seeing the whole picture, which is which is really quite hard to do when you start going, when you start it. 
I don't know, your mind weighs off. It's a weird thing, but I just kept, and I didn't do it, every, I probably did it most days, but it might take me two or three minutes. And then the nearer I got to the games, the more I was sort of doing it in my mind. But um, yeah, and I think what it allowed me to do is to, um, you know, on race day was to get into this place, which is called the zone. And, um, you know, lots of footballers talk about being in the zone. I, don't, I haven't heard many athletes. I'm sure they all probably do. But it's when you just go into autopilot and you just execute the race that you've done in your head for the last, I don't know, you know, for the last year and how many times and to the point where you cross the line and you go, oh, God, have I won that? Is that it? And, and yeah, uh-huh. it's the weirdest feeling. But it... it you know, it doesn't, it takes a lot to get there. You can't do it very often. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've uh, touched on flow a lot, actually, and I'll ask you a question on that in a sec. But the visualization side of things, I found it very encouraging when you said that you found it hard because I think a lot of people do. Some are very natural at it, but, you know, you stuck at it and got a lot better at it. And I know that by the time... Barcelona came around you said you were doing it sort of 25 times a day even so I know that you had to visualize winning each time but as well visualize things going wrong if it was raining or the bus was late so you were prepared for any kind of scenario but as well then the next day how you felt so it was so broad your visualizing so yeah Yeah. and you still use it now right yeah I do really and I think it um you know, when I when I crossed the line and won, I, I was a little bit like, God, is this is this the real thing? Is this it? Because it's what I'd rehearsed and what yeah. I'd done. And I think it's just um yeah, such a powerful tool. And, and you know, and I guess so often there was, you know, like the world's the following year when I was ill and all sorts of that, and it was about the mind that got me around that race and yeah, and 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 it just made me realise just how 
how quick we all are to have, you know, the the whole imposter syndrome and put ourselves down and all those sorts of things. It's such a natural thing. And, and I always used to think it was just me. But, mm. you know, when I when I talk to people and go around different organisations, it's massive. And it, it's the thing that often stops women progressing up, you know, the ladder within work. It stops people going out and doing a fitness goal or whatever else. And it's uh, it can be used in so many different ways, but it's just... You know, it's about using it and knowing, having the tools to be able to use it. That's why I like a story like yours, because, you know, you're a genuine British world athletics great. The only person to hold, what was it, the Olympics, the Worlds, the Europeans, the world record all at the same time. Yet within yourself at times, you'd be like, have I really done that? I can't believe I've done that. (laughs) It's only special people who who do something like that, and I think it really it's really nice to yeah. to hear achievements like yours normalized because people like yourself have achieved extraordinary things, have extraordinary skills, put in extraordinary work, but you are normal people yeah, and I think you know i had I had a really good team around me I've got great family that keep your feet on the ground because I think once you start sometimes winning things like that and it, you know, and you can get carried away with it. So I think I have had that, but I think, yeah, even now I still sometimes look back and think, how did I ever do that? Because, you know, my husband's coaching, but he even says, you know, God, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he came on that journey with me and we, we achieve what we did. I think, I think he thought it was going to be easier almost than what, you know, when he sees there's a very small majority of people that actually do this. And it's like, you know, what are all the bits that it takes? And um, and I think now, even now, I still like, I watch the race or I talk about it and I go, and I think people sort of go, God, did you really do that? How did you do that? Because you're just, you know, you're just normal as such, isn't it? But yeah, I guess I did. And it's... Um, yeah, and I've learned so much. And it's, and it's not until you look back that you realise what you dug into and what you found out about yourself. And I think that's the thing that fascinated me more than anything when I when I finished. You know, the way that in the core room, I, you know, I, I went, I did this sort of like deep breathing meditation thing, which I didn't eat. Nobody taught me how to do it. <laughs> Um, you know, and we all talk about meditation now and deep breathing and it's a massive part of my life. But I was doing that in the call room, you know, to get myself in the right state. And there were so many things like that that really sort of helped at the time. And um, yeah, and then, you know, pressure, expectation and, and how I dealt with that was I rationalised it. And I and I managed because if you start thinking about the magnitude of what you've actually got to go out there and do on that track, then you'll never do it. And it was a it's a process of, again, the mind of rationalizing it and bringing back down and just saying do you know what you can only ever do your best and if that's good enough on the day that's fine um but if it's not you'll pick up the pieces and you move on you know it won't be that anybody else's fault or anything like that you know just give yourself half the chance and your family's still there they're still going to love you and and i had to bring it back down into this normality rather than saying bloody if i win this olympics my whole life is going to change which i didn't know it would at the time but yeah but but it's interesting you say i mean obviously your whole life changes when you achieve the level of success you do but i think as well a lot of people think that 
it's going to change and they're going to be forever happy, live without problems and so on and so forth. And a lot of people I've spoken to actually was the realization that no, yes, you win this and your life changes, but on another level, your life is still exactly the same. You still have the, the daily challenges yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, but that, that brings me, you were talking about rationalizing then back to the flow element, because I know that when you came out in 92 for that famous day in Barcelona with sweltering heat, all your full makeup, um, which, by the way, that's a great little tip about. So I know you wore that just so that you felt good so you, to, to contribute to your confidence. So there's a little tip as well. That's why I had a shower for this podcast. No, sorry. And, um, uh, but yeah, so I know you came out and you saw the 80,000 fans. And then obviously your mind starts going, oh, hang on. That's just in the stadium. You know, there are X million around the world watching as well. But you managed to center yourself, essentially, which then enabled you to perform and and as you say get in the zone or get in flow so like I said it's a subject that I find fascinating and I've really dug into quite deeply how would you describe what it was like being in the flow because I know you've spoken about you know you can't remember certain things and was it easy was there a sense of uh, it happening automatically like you weren't doing it was time distorted like what how would you describe it I think the biggest thing is that um yeah, I think it's understand that you're always going to have that voice in your head. So you're always going to go in and go, oh, my God, there's so many people watching. My back hurts today. She looks good. All those sorts of things. And I think I think one thing that David just said to me, David Henry, he just said they're always going to be there. But the people that, you know, have that flow and the people that succeed in life are the ones that can control that inner voice and and it's not an arrogance thing it's just about recognizing it and he just sort of said you know almost it comes into your head you screw it up in a piece of paper and you throw it out and then you have to find that confidence you know as I said you know you talked about me putting my makeup on it's you know it's down to you to find confidence so I don't know, it's like, you know, going into a stadium and going, wow, this is amazing. You know, you're feeding it into you. And, um, you know, I feel really good today. And rather than listening to that other little voice, you you have to find it and, and keep force feeding it almost. And that I think that was a really powerful thing that I learned. And I think it's, you know, again, something that I've learned now, because you know, if we think about what the last two years are, it's it's quite, it can be quite depressing. So it's trying to find the good things that have happened and, um, yeah, and, and feed them into your mind. And, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's just about trying to use this thing up here, isn't it? It's, uh, I always say it's free. Hmm. We've just got to channel it in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Using it rather than it using you, I, I tend to think of as well. And, and obviously, one technique you gave there was around reframing it. So you were looking at, and instead of it seeing it as, oh my goodness, here's 80,000. How are they going to judge me if I, you know, fall over one of the hurdles? It's more yeah. like, this is awesome. This is exciting and channeling it yeah. in that right way. Exactly. And then relating to that voice, because again, this is something I find very, very interesting. So for you, you had screwing it up in a ball and throwing it away. For me, I, I, um, I've learned some techniques around, oh, just just noticing it. And perhaps, perhaps it will go like, oh, I'm going to fall over a hurdle. I'm having the thought that I'm going to fall over a hurdle. I don't need to tell a fall over hurdle thought and you don't have to take it seriously. Or the essence of mindfulness is just seeing the, the thought and not getting lost in it. So, yes. I mean, there are lots of ways of dealing with it, but it's not, it's understanding that that inner voice is going to be there in situations yeah. like that. 
but learning ways to not get lost in it. Yeah, exactly. It is always going to be there. You know, we're never going to just be standing there going, I feel brilliant, blah, blah, blah. It's always going to be in there, you know, and it's, you know, and things like the night before, I never slept, but it doesn't matter. You know, you start saying, it doesn't matter, I didn't sleep because I've slept well, I'm going to have an afternoon nap, you know, so it's all going to be fine. You know, it's just, I don't know, uh, the thing about eating, all those sorts of things, you've just got to control it. And yeah, it's going to be there and it will flag itself up, but you're just sort of quieting it down and, and then just feeding a little, a nice thing about it. You know, it's, it's a very yeah. hot day today, but it's it's lovely and the birds are singing and yeah, all yeah, those yeah. sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's like gratitude, isn't it? It's like seeing yeah. those little things that you can be grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, I remember uh, interviewing a former player at Wimbledon who said that she wished she had, when playing, really been able to appreciate the moments and realise that this is this is fun, this is special, yeah. rather than just seeing it in terms of pressure and it sounded like the from that gratitude side of things and not taking the voice too seriously which is obviously yeah. why you did so well and in terms of the sleep you mentioned not sleeping before the night before i think this is another good one because let's say someone's got a big interview or a presentation and they think oh i must sleep tonight i must yeah. i must get a good <laughs> night's sleep but that's when that's when you're not going to get the good night's sleep so yeah. for yeah. me it's, if i have something like that i'll try and go to bed and be like look if I don't sleep, it's fine. I'm just going to rest. It, yeah. You don't I, need to stress about it. In that. No, I don't. It's not, and I, you know, and I always used to know that I can do anything off five hours sleep, which I know is nowhere near enough. But in my mind, you know what I mean? I could tell myself that. And even if you're just lying there, you're resting. It, it's still a good thing and all things like that. Mm. So it's just. Yeah, because it's very easy just to go, oh, I haven't slept and I feel awful and I'm never going to get around that track and I'm going to be tired, I'm going to get my stride pattern. You know, you might as well not even rock up on the start line. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. And that's what happens and you know, that's a natural thing and that's what I did for years. So I've, I've, there's only something that, you know, I always say I think we're all born like that almost and it, it's just learning some of those techniques, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Quick word on, on Sandra Farmer, Patrick, your great rival who you've already had the dust up with. And I've watched both the Olympics in 92. And then when you broke the world record in 93 and crikey O'Reilly, you and her, I mean, talk about a rivalry. It's like Federer Nadal mm. stuff. I mean, it was <laughs> so tight between the both of you and you came out on top. Yeah. Can you just tell me a little bit about that story? where yeah. you got on the bus and she obviously was not speaking to you and sort of looked you up and down. And, and again, that voice piped up, but you yeah. didn't dealt with it really skillfully. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always think, you know, her, our rivalry was it's massive and it, it was healthy and it's great. And I think it's really important to have rivalries. Um, you know, she was the reason why I trained on Christmas day. She was the reason why, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm going, I don't want to train today. And then, all right, well, she's probably trained, so I'll go. So, you know, it's a good thing. It spurs you on. Um, but her, you know, she used to win all the races leading up to it, but mine was all about the major championships. And I think Bruce had been really good at feeding that into me and, you know, when it really mattered. And then that was, that was really important. Um, and her way of doing that was to try and get into my head, like so many of the athletes would. And, and I just had to learn by the competition that I'd had over the years, that this is 
the way that she did it. And um, it was about psyching out. It was about getting in your head and all those and, and not to play her game. And, and you know, when I got onto the coach, that's what she was trying to do. You know, she was trying to put me down. She was trying to, and, and I had to learn to, you know, it was almost, I would say, to go into this, like this, this other complete character almost. It wasn't me by any means. And I was, you know, and it was an acting role, but it, it's fine. You know, sometimes we might not feel like that on the inside, but we have to portray a certain way. And, and that's what I did. I just sort of thought, well, I can, two of us can play this game and, um, and just carried on. But I didn't, <laughs> I just, I just learned to block her out and not even watch what she was doing and, you know, know that she's going to come strutting into the warm-up room and, you know, and look at you and try and get into your head. So I used to just go and lie on the floor and shut my eyes and put my feet up and not even think about it. So, again, you just learn strategies of dealing with different people. You know, like letter school, or not so much letter school, but some of them would just try and chat to you beforehand. And I didn't want to do that. So it's like you don't want to be rude, but you'd, you know, you find ways of, you know, not allowing. I didn't want to do that. People are different. When you got on the bus and I've heard you describe it, you know, she sort of looked you up and down and then looked away and, and you're, the, the voice piped up and said, oh, what have I done wrong? And then yeah. you recalibrated and thought, right, I'll get shoulders back and strutted down. I can strut too. And everyone's like, Sally, are you all right? But um, this is the interesting thing, I think, about confidence though, isn't it? So, okay, you were confident, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get the doubting voice or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah what does confidence mean to you? Um, I think confidence is is the process, isn't it? And it's um, yeah, you you are in charge of the confidence. It's not it's there's actions that you have which give you it, but you've got to then recognise what those what the confidence is and how that's built you up. And confidence comes from putting things in place and getting yourself in the right place and doing things and and stuff like that. So. And, and then believing in the process, you know, you've got to have believe completely in the yeah. process that you've got um, and never question it. And yeah, there you go. Would you agree that even if you're feeling confident, the actual feelings you might have can go up and down? Because I, I know that when you were called to the call room, 400 metres hurdlers, please come to the call room you actually had an urge to leave the stadium briefly. So clearly the feelings can go up and down. They do go up and down. And um, it's like the, the the sort of like the belief and throwing out and feeding it in. So, you know, the, the gate on the far right-hand side is like, you know, nobody makes you go and do this stuff. You, you have to do it yourself. So, um, you know, and that's why I thought, well, I could just go and disappear. I wouldn't have to do it. And like, well, it doesn't matter. Just get in there and do your own thing. So there's always, it always goes up and down. Um, but that's where you have to control it. Yeah. And that was, that was the lesson that I had to learn is that you've got to learn to control those thoughts. Yeah, I have a similar thing. I, I remember when covering the Olympics in 2012 and I was doing a broadcast and I know that you'll know how stressful live broadcasting is. And I had this sort of sense of anxiety and the thoughts, but I didn't know how to deal with them and they threatened yeah. to overwhelm me. And then later in later years, when those same thoughts and feelings come, I would almost have a bit of fun with them, welcome them, you know, say hello to them. And it would really take away the power they had over me. Um, but anyway, so 1992, you, you then uh, went on to 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 win and um, were got to sit at the front of the plane on the way back with the other gold medal winners like Linford. Um, 
So, you know, you got your Olympics in the bag, but 1993, again, uh, you and your great rival, you edged ahead of her uh, to win in 93. But you said you learned so much about yourself and, you know, you'd been through so much in terms of illness, you know, almost weren't going to get on the start line. So what did you learn at that point and and what did you have to go through and how did your mind get you on the start line and get you over the Mm. line in first place? Yeah, I mean, I was I was in great shape, um, but it was a very different approach to the to that sort of season because all of a sudden you are favourite. You know, there's there's one thing coming as the underdog, and you might get a, a medal and you and you win like the Olympics, but then you get that whole scenario where everybody's out there to beat you. The whole of the nation are saying, right, oh Sally Gunnell, you know, she sent us to bed with a smile on our face, you know, in in Barcelona. So you know, she's going to do it again. So it's not, you're not just doing it for yourself. All of a sudden you feel like you're doing it. So you've got to, you've got to, you know, change tack and you've got to think in that sort of way, but not let that overtake you almost. And then I got ill about a week before and I so nearly didn't even race because I thought I had so much to lose. If I didn't, you know, if I didn't win or if I didn't get through the first round and, you know, gosh, what's happened to Sally Gunnell? And, you know, again, you you sort of, I started going down that line of what would the public think, what the press are going to say, all these sorts of things. And, and all it was, was, um, again, I spoke to, I think it was Linford and Colin, they'd gone first, Linford had won again. Um, Colin had won at this time and broken a world record. <laughs> so there was all of a sudden, God, it's us three and I've got to go and bloody win this thing. And and it just got, and I, and I so nearly, I didn't feel brill. I so nearly walked away because that would have been the easier option because I wasn't feeling 100%. Whereas the common and the Olympics, I was ticked all the box and I couldn't tick all the boxes this time. So I did a lot of mental work. I, that voice was massive, massive, massive. It was it was bigger than ever. And it just kept saying, but you're not very well. And how are you going to get over those hurdles? And, you know, you haven't done this and you haven't done that. And I, I just had to keep throwing it out, throwing it out and just kept saying, do you know what? You've, you've trained, you're in the best shape ever. Um, you know, all you can do is go out and do the best that you can. If it's good enough, then that's fine. And when I won and broke the world record, it was so different to the Olympics. It was just massive relief. Um, it was um, life-changing in that that was all about the mind and how I'd done that through that. It was like, whoa, that's a bit, it was almost like a bit spooky almost. It was a bit like, oh, I don't know what happened there, but that was weird. It was that sort of scenario, but yeah, I mean, I think out of all my races, I know the Olympics is your pinnacle, but that the world's just taught me so, so much. And um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I think it just shocked me, but it was a yeah, life-changing experience almost. If you had to summarise the thing you learned most, are you able to? I think it's how easy we can, we can take the easy options, uh, how easy it is to go left and not right, if you know what I mean. It's, I think... It's our in our nature to just to take that easy route. And sometimes it is about being brave and just trying to, to take the right turn, if you know what I mean, and, and surprise yourself and what, what we are all capable of doing. I think we just all so put ourselves down and we don't achieve half of the things or a quarter of things that we could actually do. 
and um, yeah, and how that helps us to be a better person and to like ourselves more if we did those sorts of things. Which comes back to the degree to which we buy into that critical inner voice. I've heard you say that the ability to control or perhaps another way of putting that might be not buy into the the stories of of that voice is in your opinion the key to success so is that something Mm. you believe well massively yeah I I often say that yeah as much as probably 70% of it is in the mind on those days you know in those finals um you know there's a lot of talented people and there's not a lot that you know differates between you all um but it's the ones that have that complete belief and have done their their you know their mental preparation for it really and you know and learn not to worry about things that are outside your control or others or whatever it may be so yeah Sandra's problem was she probably worried more about me than she did herself so you know what I mean it's that sort of situation and that can be applied, I guess, well, it can be applied to to life more broadly. Yes, it's heightened when you're going out to run in front of 80,000 people, for example, in Barcelona, but we all have those same difficulties. So like, for example, when you won silver and, and you'd started thinking, oh, goodness, I'm going to win. We all can get ahead of ourselves in various areas of life. So, so the lessons you've learned around the mental side to what degree are they applicable in everyday life? Yeah, all, all the time, really. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be massive. Um, you know, it could be, I'm just trying to think of an example. You know, last weekend we had a family wedding and I had to do a reading at a church. I was petrified. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I thought, right, what would I do when I was running? You know, and I, and I prepped it, I practiced, I read it in front of people. I visualized myself standing at the front of the church. I visual, you know, I did it. And, you know, I I could feel my heart going as I was going up there to do it. But I nailed it. You know what I mean? So I think it it doesn't have to be, you know, massive in whatever you're doing. But it just, you know, it just helps in so many little, little areas. And it can help with trying to achieve a fitness goal or just trying to do some exercise on one day. If you've got a bit of a, a good mindset and you think, you know, you've got much better up going to go to the gym today and I'm going to do this workout and I'm going to chat to this, you know, just having that sort of positive attitude rather than listening to that little voice over here that's always, oh God, I've got to get up an hour earlier. It's going to be really dark and I've got to drive to the gym and I've got to do all that. You, know, you can either choose that one or you choose this one. And I think it's, yeah, there's just one thing, yeah. isn't it, that I say to people. It's just it's just sometimes recognising what that negative thought is over here and, and trying to bring this this other one in a bit more. It's the two wolves on your shoulder kind of thing. Right, just to go back to what I really think is the theme I kind of like about your story, is that asking for help, as you did ahead of your time, and applying that to everyday life, whether let's say, for example, the people who struggle, who are struggling with anxiety and depression and who are reluctant to to reach out for help because there are so many out there who do that. Mm. Or it might be I know from for me, you know, I've had a bit of coaching even even recently with, in terms of my business and stuff like that. So getting though that kind of help in whatever form it may be, nutritionist, sports psychologist, a therapist, business coach, whatever it may be. 
it's an yeah. investment in yourself and you prove yeah. that. So you're a great believer in it, clearly. Yeah, massively. And, um, you know, and again, something that I had to teach myself because I, I often used to say that I wasn't particularly very good at a team sport because I, I tried to, you know, do everything for everybody else. And I used to get really annoyed <laughs> if somebody wasn't, you know, drop the netball or something like that. And, and that's probably why I never went in and I did athletics, but again, an individual, but I had to recognize that I couldn't be uh, good at everything and that I had to have, you know, if I wanted to excel, I wanted to go to, I had to have specialists. I had to have people that um, could help me, support me, um, you know, had their knowledge. So I I didn't look at it as a negative thing. I looked at it as um, an investment in myself and, you know, working out what it is. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's really important is that, you know, what is our, the best version that we can be as individuals? And we can't do that on our own. Um, and we need that investment from other people. And that is about working out what mm-hmm. that investment is and reaching out and uh, and having people on your side that are, are amazing at what they do. And and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's, it's such a, it was a hard thing to, to do um but that was you know that was that's how I achieved what I did and I wouldn't have done that without the amazing team that I'd had and making those changes and asking for help so what message then would you have for people who perhaps are reluctant to ask for help because I think let's say in sports let's say you're playing tennis or golf it's very easy to think oh I need to have a coach to show me how to hit the hit the hit the ball properly but then other areas of life perhaps around our emotional lives or other areas where it can be easy to think oh I'm a grown-up I should be able to deal with this mm. what advice would you have for people who are perhaps a bit stuck a bit struggling about asking for help for, that you learned from your sporting career I think it's actually about reaching out to different people I think so often you know we we just try and do it all ourselves like I said but it, it's actually look at how who could help you um and not be scared or frightened or whatever you know and I'm looking looking I'm thinking now you know where I am at the moment and you know exercise wise you probably think it comes easy but actually you know my son's been doing gym sessions and, and coaching us and I, and I love that you know you've, I've reached out and it's it's brought in a different dimension and it's and I think it's been really important. So I think it's about, you know, as I say, don't being scared. It's about investing in yourself. What is it I need? <laughs> Work out what is it I need. Is it somebody to talk through my emotions? Is it somebody to help me physically get out there and get fit? Um, you know, what does that sort of look like? And just, you know, don't be scared about investing in yourself um and you know and seeing what you can reap from those advantages are and, and you know and how much happier you will be within yourself so yeah and talk to people it doesn't sometimes it sometimes and it the- is just a chat <laughs> with a friend you know it's not always yeah. about having to pay for something I think sometimes it is people that are just around you and you know I always say I go for mm. a bike ride with my girlfriend on the bike you know, it's our sanity. It's where we have a good old moan about our husbands. We stop and have a coffee at the end. And, <laughs> it's, and it's completely been my sanity for the whole two years. So, yeah. So there we go. Friends or whoever it may be. And, yeah. and the beautiful thing, I think, is from your story, you know, you achieved the Grand Slam. You, you achieved 
you're the only woman in history to win the Olympics, to win the world, to win the Europeans, to hold the world record all at the same time. And yeah. you needed those people around you, whether it's your family, your friends, but also those other people, the nutritionist, psychologist, to get you to that place. So what's that saying? Man slash woman is not an island or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ask for help. Exactly. Well, listen, Sally, I think that's a fantastic place to stop. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Like I said, I remember vividly your elegant stride down the uh, the final <laughs> straight in Barcelona. So it's 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 one of those memories that's just seared into my mind uh, and and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again beforehand it definitely got the uh, got the old the old ticker pumping so uh, thank you it's been a, it's been a real pleasure yeah. talk, talking and thank you for sharing your wisdom it's been lovely thank you very much lovely to chat to you very kind thank you take care Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. For me, some key takeaways after talking to Sally include accepting that asking for help and investing in yourself is key if you really want to achieve your potential. Also, recognizing that the critical inner voice we all have will always be there and is prone to shape-shifting. So be on the lookout for it in all its different forms and don't just automatically believe its stories. As well, recognizing that not having a great night's sleep before a big event is fine and being brave enough not to take the easy option in life. Do let me know your thoughts and feedback at Simon Mundy on social media. And this week's Monday on a Monday newsletter features a powerful saying and call to action to keep in mind when you feel stuck, as well as the importance of facing our shadow. Just head to simonmundy.com to sign up. But that's it for now. Have a great week and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.